Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. What is up? Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. It's great to be back in the saddle. I just spent a week in New York City in Times Square, and I will tell you that I missed my little tiny Tennessee town. Let us know where you are tuning in from. Change your chat settings over on this side down to everyone and tell us what city you are repping. Throw your city in the chat and tell us where you're coming in from. We are here to learn all about cold email frameworks. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get this question that I always kick things off with launched. You guys know that I give you a moment to come into the room. I do know how it is. You might be coming out of a meeting. You might be coming off of a call. Uh, Take a deep breath. Put your learning caps on because we have a very special gentleman back with us today to teach us some great things. Uh, All right. So this is what we're here to talk about. Let's kick things off. Four steps, four pieces of a framework for your writing of cold emails. There's probably a ton of like noise out there for, for the word framework, right? We hear all these things about the right framework, but as I put in my post earlier this week or last week, I feel like we need to stop thinking about blanket solutions. So we're going to talk about the bones that are inside these emails. If you're just joining us, take part in the question that I just put out there. This is how we tailor the conversation. Jason Bay of Outbound Squad is back with us today, and I am your host, James Say What Sales Buckley. Welcome, my friend. It's, uh, what is this, like the sixth or seventh time we've done these? Yeah, I was telling you before we started, we're like seasoned pros at, at this, uh, by this time, man. And you're uh, always a great host and good at uh, the, the whole intro and stuff, all the stuff I find kind of awkward. You know, having to introduce yourself and all that stuff, you, uh, you help reduce a lot of, relieve a lot of the awkwardness. Oh, so, man, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, that's great. I appreciate it, man. Uh, the hosting the show is definitely my favorite part of this job. I get to meet great people. If you are coming into the room, let us know where you're tuning in from in the chat. We like to shout out the cities that we've been to. Shout out Chicago. I see you, London. Boise, Idaho. I've never been there, but uh, what's up in Boise right now? Shout out Sao Paulo. Dallas in the house. Warsaw, Poland. What time is it in Poland right now? Boston, Mass. Always representing. We appreciate that. Shout out Vancouver. Hey, if you're international, throw me a bone, yo. Like, shout out to Salem, India. I appreciate it. New Brunswick, what's popping? Florida, my home state. Great stuff right there. All right, let's give a big thanks to our partners. We couldn't do this show every day without our partners. Uh, JB Sales, you guys know that I cut my teeth in that industry. Sales training is such a great aspect. If you haven't checked out JB Sales, you want to go check it out, jbarrows.com. Also, Vidyard. I've been a Vidyard user since 2014, 2015. They've never let me down. There's a free Chrome extension. You want to check it out. And our partners at Zoom Info. We teamed up with them to put one of the coolest pieces of content we've ever made. Shout out to Thailand. What's up? And I'm dropping it in the chat for you right now. These three powerful plays for lead to meeting plays, these power plays are going to help you guys book more meetings, get them on the books and kick off 2024 proper. So get that link. It's in the chat right now. These are three power plays that you can go from lead to meeting. And that's what you want to get. There it is. Boom. Check it out. All right. Let's talk a little bit about sell better. Go over there, sellbetter.xyz, learn what we're doing and why we're doing it and hit our YouTube channel. You're going to find all kinds of free resources there and clips from the show, stuff that actually will help you sell better on a daily basis. This is what you're getting today from Jason. What is shifting in cold email? There's probably a lot of things we could talk about in that realm. And then why some audiences just don't respond to email. What can we do about that? How can we change our messaging? And then these little mistakes that we all make, I promise you that you will see a lot of yourselves in what we are going to discuss today. Let me know if you're ready in the chat. Let's kick things off. Uh, I want to start off with just right out of the gate value. So Jason, you provided this framework for mobile ready 
emails. Uh, put a one in the chat if you read emails on your mobile device. Put a one in the chat if you yourself read emails on your mobile device. Jason, break this down and tell everybody why they need to be thinking about this. Yeah, I'll drop some stats into the chat here just so you guys can see them. These are stats from Lavender. Um, so if we kind of step back and think about our objective with cold email, what's super tough is there's this balance right now that we talk about with quality where things got to be personalized. You got to stop mass blasting. Yet that takes time, right? Human time, manual effort that we have very little of, especially if you're an account executive. Mm. So the objective with email is how do we send an email that has a one-to-one -one look and feel, but doesn't take an hour to write. So mobile optimized emails, the mobile ready cold email framework, a lot of the things that I teach around email are a lot of it's backed by data. I mean, what you'll see in the chat there is, you know, prospects are eight times more likely to open emails on their phone. And then a lot of times they'll reply via desktop. So I bet if I pulled the audience here and you pulled your prospects, you'd find that 80, 90% of them open emails first on mobile, and then they decide to reply. And they usually do that on desktop. Yo, I will mark one as unread so that when I get back to my desktop, I it's like top of mind for me. Yep. And the framework we're going to show you today, again, good data from Lavender. Mobile optimized emails have 83% more replies. So when it is formatted in a way where someone does not have to scroll on their mobile phone to read it, it's good. And then emails under 50 words get 60% more replies than emails with 150 plus words. That does not mean that all your cold emails need to be 50 words, by the way. There's some data in there that sort of skews that number if you use bump emails, for example. So we need a good subject line. We need a compelling reason why we're reaching out. We got to talk about a problem, which I see is the big thing that's neglected for most emails. We don't talk about the problem that we solve. Yep. Social proof. As a buyer, I want to know who have you done this for before because you're a complete stranger to me. So how do we indicate that you know what the heck you're doing? Call to action. So make the ask specific, reduce friction, make it easy for the buyer to reply to the email. And word count, generally, we want to be under 75 words. And we're, of course, going to dig into this and have lots of examples. Yeah. But that's the framework for double-digit replies to a cold email. This is a great framework that you guys can use all the time when you consider the fact that so many decision-making entities are reading their emails on mobile. So use this framework to your advantage. Check it out, man. It looks like a lot of SDRs and AEs in the room. Not surprised about that because I think those are the two entities that send the most cold emails. And shout out to the leadership in the room. 15% uh, of the people in the room, senior leadership, we need more folks like you and those frontline managers that actually are the instruments of change. Uh, we need more people like you guys in the room. So thank you to everybody that's come and give us their time today. Let's look at an example of what this email light might look like. Anything that stands out to you, Jason, that you want to point out? Yeah. So again, we're going to, like, we have some examples of what this is going to look like. We're going to break this section down. But one of the ways that I like to think about is in frameworks versus templates. It's great to have templates uh, and things that work. But I mean, if we were to pull the audience, James, I bet, could we have different people doing different roles in the audience? I bet it's like spanned across a bunch of different industries, people reaching oh, out to security, IT, HR, let's marketing, let's find out. sales. Put in the chat, put in the chat, what is the industry you're selling into currently? If you have multiple, put multiple, uh, but let's pull, let's really ask, like what, you know, what, there you go, healthcare, we got marketing, a lot of people selling to marketing, shout out grocery, that's very pretty specific, construction, restaurants, sports and entertainment, multiple, Florida, uh, what is it? You're just selling in Florida? 
<laughs> Solid, man. Communication, all of them. I yeah. love it. Uh, so you're right, man. There is quite the spin. So where I'm going with that is there is no, like, if you're thinking that you're going to get from this webinar or any other piece of content, a magic recipe that works every single time that you can copy and paste, it's just not going to work across industry. Yeah. So the point here is to have something in an order that allows you to like populate the email based on the checkpoint, uh, the checkboxes that it needs to, to check off. Yeah. I need a compelling reason. I need to talk about a problem that people like them have. I need to talk about who we've done this for and who we've helped. And then I need to make a clear ask, oftentimes for interest or for time. I mean, again, we're going to break that down, but that framework, and we're going to have something that we're going to give away to you guys too, that's going to have everything in these slides, like in a written form too, yep. that you guys can use. But uh, yep. yeah, that's uh, the framework. we'll probably drop that a couple of times throughout the show. If you want to put it in the chat right now, uh, Maria, feel free to drop that in for everybody so we can get people started on that. This is a resource. You guys know that we give you the best possible resources. So far, two resources deep, three strong power plays at the beginning. You want to go get those. And now this document that's going to help you. Uh, shout out to Marion. I think I'm saying your name correctly. Marion Marion Carrison, uh, who asked about the best boring subject line. Let's transition over into subject lines right now, Jason, because the boring subject line is kind of a blanket statement. What does this mean when you say boring? Yeah. So can I actually share my screen real quick? Absolutely. I love the show thing. And I think all you have to say something that I think is going to impact everybody. Yeah. I think the inbox visual is very good. So before I share my screen, what I'm about to show you, and by the way, if you're a sales leader, Get your VP of whatever persona that you sell into. So let's say you sell into VPs of HR. Get your VP of HR to like take a screenshot of the emails they get from salespeople. You will just be absolutely blown away. So I want to show you this because it's important to understand what you're competing against. Yes. So this is my, can you see this all right, James? I see it just fine, sir. Okay. So I'm one of those uh, crazy weirdos that tags and saves all of the cold emails that I get. You'll see it. I get I get fewer cold emails than than you would think. Um, on a typical week, I might get five to ten cold emails. Your buyers are getting fifty to hundred if they work at a large company, and they're at least getting a couple dozen. Yeah. Uh, let me know in the chat what do you guys see, good or bad, with the subject lines of these emails. Mm. Good or bad? Could be something really like for long. Look at that. Uh, look at that. Attention, grow your business through effective SEO and social media brand strategy. I don't know that I would read past that. Well, it just screams sales or marketing email too. This screams stranger. I know that people, James, if you sent me an email, you wouldn't send me an email with the subject line that's uh, that long. I like I like Ricky's there. Ricky's Ricky's there is pretty. That's true. I would never send you a subject line that long because I know that you would look away like, oh, that's painful. But Ricky, but I would also do the research and know that that's something that you would do, right? It took me five minutes to figure out like Jason is into subject lines, so I should probably think about this one. But I like I like Ricky's here because he's using that that symbol that uh, those two those two sides that tends to work for me. Jason is using the same, right? Or uh, Jason plus jungler there they're doing the same. Yeah. So the point that I'm trying to make, I love what Chris dropped into the chat, stranger danger. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Graham said internal camouflage. That's a, that's a phrase that Will over at Lavender uses quite a bit. Um, boring subject line is don't waste all of these calories trying to get really creative. You need mm. to just emulate what it would look like if they email each other. Okay. So these are cold emails. What I'm about to show you, this is my primary inbox. 
And I have an EA that helps me keep up on this. So it actually would have been, oh, she did something there just now, uh, deleted some emails or something. Um, but look at the subject lines with emails between people or clients that I know, right? It's got like the client's name in there. It's got our stuff in there. It tends to be pretty short. It's less formal for the, I mean, blocks. It's one word subject line. Yeah. Rep view account. So the reason why I'm showing you this is the data supports, Salesloft has got a lot of great data on this. Open and reply rates are highest when subject lines are under five words. So short, sweet, to the point, boring as an erring on the side of being insanely obvious about what's in that email and making it highly relevant to the other person. So if you want, James, we can look at those slides and we can show you specific examples and frameworks around subject lines. But I, I like showing that visual because that's what we're oh, competing against. It's a great visual and I think we can all relate to it. Check out some of the language that folks are using right now. We got you and your, I use those pretty regularly. I think they're pretty good. I saw somebody in the chat put their name, like using their name inside the subject line. I used to be a huge fan of this. I've stopped doing it because I believe it is overused. That's my 10 cents. No silver bullets. If it's working for you, shut my mouth, right? Jason, yeah. talk to me about these subject lines. We'll go to the next line and we'll talk about more stuff as we move forward. So again, this is in the packet that we dropped into the chat, but there's specific frameworks that you can apply with subject lines. The first example is pointing out a problem. So what you'll see there is there's a client I worked with that sells an enterprise grade solution that is really a a really highly upgraded chatbot experience that's really good at like pointing people and upselling, doing all this other kind of stuff. If they used AI powered enterprise CX in their subject line, that looks like a marketing email versus Canada Goose chatbot. So the Canada Goose jacket that is on the whatever sports uh, apparel webpage that's not working when it should be, if they put that in, that's more likely to get the attention of someone than talking about AI-powered enterprise CX. There's industry trends or problems. One that I always reference here is I worked with a company that sells an automated welding solution. What you would be really tempted to do as a BDR is put automated welding solution into the subject line or automate your welding at APC company. The number one thing on every VP of manufacturing and operations mind, if you have welders, is there's an extreme talent shortage of welders because people are not getting into blue-collar trades as much as they were. Right. So the subject line was one word, welders, 90 plus percent open rate. Yep. Uh, and then lastly, company initiatives. So instead of grow your revenue or reduce call center costs, like if you can find, if you're reaching out to publicly traded companies, they, they speak publicly about their initiatives. Yeah. So putting the name of an initiative into the subject line is another good one. Yeah. That's always a good one. If you can find things that are relevant. And I want you guys to really hone in on the relevance piece that Jason is focusing on. It might be one word, it might be a pairing of words, but it's always going to be relevant to the industry and the target that you're reaching out to. Uh, what about the LinkedIn quote and people on their team? How do we use this? So LinkedIn quote, this was something I did in an exercise with uh, our friends over at 30MPC. I was writing a cold email to the uh, sales loft uh, CFO at the time, guy named Chad. So, and it was, you're selling financial analytics software. It would be really easy as a rep to say finance analytics software or analytics as the subject line, but that's all about me and not about them. Yeah. When I researched Chad, what he talked about was preparing sales loft for a future IPO. He talked about that in a recent piece of content. So I just put sales loft IPO in the subject line. That's the thing that's top of mind for him. He's freaking writing about it. On he LinkedIn. just wrote about it. Right. You know? Um, 
So people on their teams, another great one too. Uh, let me know in the chat, do you sell something where the end user would be like someone at the IC level? So it would be a sales rep if you sell to sales teams, oh, marketer, an HR person. Uh, let me know in the chat, yes or no. Do you sell a software product with Renee. end users yeah. that are the equivalent of seniority of, of you? you know, on yeah, call? a lot of so times you sell those by the seat too, right? I mean, yeah. So you could mention specific people on their team. So if I sell an HR solution, I could look for an HR person on this person's team whose name is James Buckley. And I could say James Buckley and, uh, you know, Panit, uh, so-and-so, right? And I could put that in the subject line and I could tie that into the rest of the email. That's another really great tool as well. I love that. And I love it if I can actually have a conversation with that person. And then in my email, my subject line is, I spoke with this person. And it's always like, yeah. well, what did you talk about? And, and do I need to be a part of that conversation? There's that human curiosity. I want to move forward yeah. because I hear a lot of conflicting opinions on where personalization goes. Let me know in the chat, where do you put your 10, 15, 20% personalization? Uh, top, middle, bottom of the email. Where do you put it? I got a lot of tops. A lot of tops already, uh, a lot of tops coming in. Hey, it looks like a lot of folks are topping some middles. There you go, some middles throughout. Okay, hey, Brett, I appreciate that. Uh, let's talk about where that personalization might belong. Tell me about that first line. Yeah, so I think with personalization, the, the first part to understand is your sales motion will dictate how much effort you spend personalizing an email. So there's a couple of things before we talk about the first line that are really important. If you're selling something that's transactional, where it's reliant on a lot of volume, you're selling something that's under five to $10,000 US ACV, you're not going to do a ton of personalization in your emails. If you're selling something that's mid-market or a large enterprise, and you're trying to get a meeting with a VP of finance at a Fortune 1000, you have to personalize, like most of that email is going to be personalized. Yeah. It's going to be tailored to that individual. The other thing to take into consideration is how you tier the people that you're reaching out to. So tier ones or priority ones or whatever you want to call them, like tear out the prospects. Don't treat everyone equally. Don't give them all the same amount of attention and effort. That meeting with a VP of finance is worth a lot more to you as an account executive than a finance manager. The finance manager is not getting nearly as much cold outreach as the VP of finance. So tailor how you personalize based on how much that meeting is worth to you. Yeah. So the first line though, I think there's a couple of different ways that you can structure the first line to grab the person's attention. The visual that I showed you earlier, the thing that drives open rate is not just the subject line, it's the first line of the email. So most first lines of email start, hi, Jason, dear Jason, uh, hello, Mr. Bay, like all kinds of- Yeah, I'm out. I'm like, at dear, at dear Jason, at dear James, or hey, hey there, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. So we don't need to do any of that stuff. So um, what I did is, you know, one of the things you can do is ask a curiosity-driven question. So instead of stop starting with what you see in red there, hi, Jason, it's John, I do this. Instead of starting with what you do, if in this example, it was someone reaching out to me about freelancers because they saw that I was like hiring freelancers, yeah. just ask them how the search is going for that specific position, right? So ask that curiosity-driven question. Another one to do is point out a problem. So the chatbot example I shared earlier, instead of saying, Hi, James. We noticed that there are opportunities for improvement on your website, specifically the chatbots not working. It sounds so formal and stuffy, and it's not yeah. how people would email each other internally. Yeah. 
this, hey, see this? The chatbot on the Canada Goose page doesn't work after 6 p.m. PT. And we'll talk about how to hook that into the second and third line of the email, but that's like an immediate attention grabber if that person's in charge of that. Yeah. And then the specific observation is, don't just say you looked at their LinkedIn page or a recent right. quarterly report. Point specifically to the thing that you found. So the first line is is usually the most important line to personalize because it's going to really drive open rate. And it's literally the first line. It's it's literally the first thing that the person looks at. They've done eye tracking movement studies and people yeah. literally like read the first line and they usually skip to the last line. And then they read the the middle is how people mm-hmm. typically read and skim. Yeah. Uh, so I'm reminded of the F-shaped email, uh, Beck Holland and uh, Jeff Hoffman, both proponents of the F-shaped email. Yeah. And I hear that stuff all the time. Our eyes kind of do that C motion and then they fill in that blank. I want to encourage you guys to get your questions in the Q&A. We will leave some time at the end to answer as many questions as possible. Jason is great at thinking on his feet and being able to give you real examples of stuff that he's done that's worked to do things like write better emails, get more responses. So whatever it is you're struggling with, throw it in the Q&A. You know, we will answer those questions. Let's talk a little bit about hooks. I think hooks are the thing that we could really stand to improve on when it comes to our writing. We need to grab our people's attention early. Sometimes that's in the front line. Sometimes it's in the subject line. But there's a way that we can format hooks in our emails that are both mobile friendly, but also really gripping. So talk to me about the second and third line of an email in this framework. Yeah. And I think this is where a lot of reps struggle. It's really tough. You find that really good thing that you you found out and you're pointing out in the email and you're like, how the heck do I hook this back to you know, the reason why. Damn it, is it relevant? <laughs> um, so I have a couple of like frameworks and templates and that you can kind of fill in the blanks and we can show some examples of that if you want to. Yeah. Uh, one way is to connect back to the trigger. So if we pointed out and we saw that they were hiring, we could say, as you continue growing, I put in people like their persona, HR leaders share that manual admin work across all the different systems they're using becomes a problem. Right. Right. We're helping HR leaders or companies like XYZ fix this problem so they can do this thing. That's the easiest one. That gives you like a good starting point to where you can connect the reason for reaching out, being the hiring, the problem that you pointed out, whatever you noticed. That's the easiest one to start with and then edit down from there. Um, Another way is to just combine it into the same sentence. Hey, saw that you guys are hiring. We're helping HR leaders do this so they can do it without that. Yeah. Right. It's the age old marketing formula for do you want to accomplish XYZ result without ABC problem? Right. Or the hypothesis is usually that means there's a focus on this. Right. And we can provide some examples and stuff if you want. Um, But I like these kind of hook formulas. The hook is essentially saying, I noticed this specific thing about you. Typically, in these situations, organizations experience this problem. And here's how we help them. Yeah. I, this flow seems complicated when you are a writing seller. When you are in the moment, you feel like this is such a big, long, huge email. It's not supposed to be. One of the best tips I ever got was, and I got this from Zach Metters, who was my original business development manager, the very first one I ever had. I was writing novels to people. I mean, like it was... Oh. such a like complex email. It was all disconnected. And one day he said to me, Hey man, do you read these out loud before you send them? And I was like, no. And he was like, read them out loud. 
if you don't talk like that, don't send that email. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. That changed I, everything for me. I could drop an example into the chat, actually. Let's do it. Here, let drop me, it in there. Let me uh, our, 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 our team, our people, our audience loves good examples. That's an example that he just dropped in the chat. Go check that one out. Uh, you want to before we talk about CTAs, which I think is a necessary component of every framework. That notice the frameworks here that we're talking about here, guys. It is subject line, it is opening line, it is hook, and then it is CTA. Those four pieces are steps that exist in every single framework. Before we get any further and talk about CTAs, let's pit stop here for a couple of good questions. Chris Hinks, who I think received his invite from me to this show. Personally, uh, do you feel that AI is overused at this point to make everything seem less natural, perfect, and unnatural? Do you feel like this is detrimental to our cold email game at this point? You know, there's a lot of cold email AI out there. I don't yeah. really see any of it producing very good emails, though. I think what AI is pretty good at doing is helping you maybe get three quarters of the way there, and then you can kind of fine tune it, or helping you point out, like, obviously like very obvious things that you should change, uh, mm -hmm. word length, um, how complicated the language is that you're using, the sentence structure and how long sentences are, using jargon. It's good at pointing those things out, but yeah. I'm open to, to feedback. I want AI to produce a, a great cold email, but I have not seen these solutions without a lot of input spit out an, an email that works, that that looks like something I would ever hit send up. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I've seen a lot of really great AI assists with email. I see a lot yeah. of suggestions for improvement, but I don't necessarily see an abundance of, hey, write this email for me. And it's just a copy paste motion and you're like super satisfied with it. Most people do yeah. make some level of changes. I appreciate it. That's a good question, Chris. Thank you for coming to the show. Uh, this one comes from Ashley. It's a two-part question. The first part is, when you're saying see this, let's go back so everybody can get that that visual there because I like that when you were like, see this? Uh, where, where was that? That was in... That was in the first line. In the first line, right. Yep. Here we go. Boom, found it. Uh, so I want to I reference it and want to talk about it while we're talking about it here while we show it to you. Uh, when you're saying see this, would you link what you're referring to to that? And then also, do you avoid links in that initial outreach? This is a great two-parter because I think there's some debate about whether or not links, hyperlinks, actually belong yeah. in cold out, outbound email. Yeah. So the whole deliverability stuff, the, the part that you need to ignore is that if you're fixated, overly fixated on deliverability, that is yeah. not the reason why people are not responding to your emails. You're sending really shitty emails. That's why they're not responding to it, okay? Sure, there's a certain amount of like deliverability that you need to work on. Don't get me wrong, okay? There's some obvious things that you should avoid doing. Uh, one of them is putting a lot of media into an email. So when you embed a, an, an image of any kind into the first email, when you embed a video even into the first email, that will definitely affect deliverability. Um, if you have an email signature with your picture or your logo and then three links in it to like a LinkedIn page and a website, that definitely affects deliverability. But it's okay to put a link into an email. It's not going to flag it as spam or anything like that. I would recommend turning off link tracking though. Turn sure. off link tracking so it looks and feels less like a marketing email. And the see this, you could hyperlink in the first email if that's yeah. one of two hyperlinks. 
The only other hyperlink should be a hyperlink to your website. And even that and the signature you could remove. I, I was just about to say, I feel like it depends on what's going with that link. If you're sending one hyperlink and you've highlighted the text and hit, you know, command K and added that link, you're yeah. probably okay. Although I do agree with Jason about turning off the link tracking. Uh, I think that does add to the deliverability issue. That link tracking is easily yeah. easily discovered by Google and Outlook uh, specifically, which I think are the dominant players, unless you're, you know, an at AOL.com yeah. person, you know, hey. <laughs> Some of us are yeah. still living living back there. Uh, when you guys think about these types of things, look at your signature. Is there an image in there that doesn't need to be there? Is are there more than one link in there? Did you did you actually provide your email address there, even though you sent them an email? Like that, those types of things can shrink down your email and make it a little more digestible for your reader. These are great strategies. Uh, yeah, and Jason, just put that link in there. You can test your email's domain by sending it into that tester, and it'll tell you some things that you can do to change those results. Let's get another question in here. This one comes from Gianluca. Uh, if you have buying intent info on a company, something put into evidence only by buying intent, like the category, uh, how do you refer to that intent without resulting in the wrong way. Meaning how do I use it without sounding like a creepy stalker, I think is what we're going for. <laughs> uh, I think that I'm going to drop another document here. I have a yeah. guide on email deliverability. Nice. Too. So I'll drop that in. So if Good you stuff. have a bunch of problems with your email to me and that that'll help you troubleshoot. Good enough. Uh, Thank you. So the question around intent data. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, I don't want to open a huge can of worms, but there are, I don't you know, I would really challenge if I'm a sales leader and I'm responsible for the budget on intent data, I would challenge how effective it actually is for you. Okay. Um, so if we're using it for cold outreach, that's very different than using it for demand gen uh, and serving up ads, let's say in front of an account. Uh, yeah. I think the biggest challenge with demand gen is you don't really know who is looking or sorry, with intent data is you don't know who is looking. Right. So all of the intent data, the only thing it's going to help you do, you do not want to point out, I noticed, James, that you're looking into sales engagement solution. Yeah. That's not the play. The play is I have 100 accounts to reach out to, and intent data is showing me that five of these accounts, people in that organization are searching for tools like mine or to fix problems like mine. I'm going to focus more effort on those five accounts. That's all you need to use intent data for. You do not want to call out anything specific. It feels way too big brother uh, doing that. And that's not how these organizations leverage intent data. It is a tool to prioritize your effort, not to customize the message. Very interesting. Uh, I hope you guys are taking copious notes. If you're not, it's okay because it's December of 2023 and you're all going to get the recording of this. Let's move forward and talk a little bit about CTAs because we can't talk about frameworks without including the CTA. Uh, you had a couple of really interesting points when we talked about this. What are your initial thoughts on CTAs that are working right now? Uh, what are some things people need to keep in mind? One of the things that you said that really stood out to me when we started this conversation is that CTAs are not an exact science. Yeah, CTAs are not an exact science. There's a couple. Let's start with the 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 why behind the CTA. Okay. The reason for a CTA is if we think of the email as a game of caloric expenditure that we're asking our prospect to do, we want to keep the caloric expenditure as low as possible. So in other words, we want to reduce the amount of effort that it takes to figure out what to do with the email. So that's why we want to be boring with the subject line, personalized with a compelling reason, talk about a relevant problem, share social proof with companies that are similar, 
the CTA is you explicitly telling the prospect what you would like them to do. So common mistakes that people make is no CTA. There's nothing at the end of the email. They just leave the email or ending the email without a question. Uh, like I want to open up the communication loop and I want to end it with a question. So let's talk about what that question should be. Okay. Gong's data shows that there are three different types of CTAs they measured across, I think, over 100,000 emails. It was open-ended CTAs. So asking questions like, how are you handling sales engagement at ABC Company? Um, there was specific ask for time. Uh, James, can I get 15 minutes of your time tomorrow to chat more? And then there were interest-based CTAs. Interested in chatting further. Would it hurt to share more? Or is a quick conversation? Right. They found that the interest-based CTAs have twice the reply, over twice the reply rate of open-ended and specific asks for time. So what does that mean for you? It means when you write your emails, what you want to ask for is interest in most of the cold emails. It's okay to ask for time. Just don't hammer, if I'm emailing James, I'm not going to hammer him six times in a row over three yeah. weeks with, are you free to meet tomorrow? Does 2 p.m. work for you tomorrow? Like I want to ask for his interest and I want a closed-ended question. I want something that's very easy, yes or no, to answer. I don't want open-ended questions. So we had I, talked about, this might be good to talk about asynchronous versus synchronous communication too, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, first let's talk a little bit about open-ended and closed-ended questions. I said to you, and I think you agreed with me to an extent, I find that open-ended questions that can't be answered with yes or no are best used in calls, in conversation. I find closed-ended yep. questions to be super impactful in email more often. And it used to not be that way. I used to preach that you should ask in writing open-ended questions because it forces your reader to think about the answer that they're going to give you. But that's too yeah. much friction, right? Yeah. So asynchronous communication, email is asynchronous communication. Your prospect and no one, even internally, I'm not looking for a pen pal. Like think about how you chat with someone on Slack or text yeah. versus how you chat via email. Yeah. So if your goal is to start a conversation via email, especially with an executive, your success rate is going to be extremely low because they don't want a bunch of back and forth via email. Yep. Right. They want to send something and then forget about it versus your synchronous communication. LinkedIn DMs kind of feel, have this feel, but that's your text. You guys have ever texted someone and, and like they happen to be free at the same moment. You guys are basically instant messaging back and forth like we used to do on AOL yeah. and Hotmail back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and MSN Messenger or whatever it was called. Um, email is not synchronous communication. It's asynchronous. You want to be as easy to go back and forth with as possible in as few steps as possible. Yeah. So closed-ended questions are the best. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree in email. I think closed-ended is the way to go for me personally these days. It used to be opposite though. It's funny how it's cyclical in that way. If you look at some yeah. of these results here, it's kind of a it's kind of a good split, but the majority of people are either asking for interest or saying things like, is this worth a chat? Uh, I, you know, I've, I've taken in, uh, a liking to combining those and being like, is this interesting enough for us to chat? Right. It's not a specific ask for time, but it's that close ended. Yeah, this is interesting. We've been talking about this lately and timing is so important when it comes to the sales cycle and how it's going to get that momentum that you're looking for. We got a few questions here, but Jason, I always like to get our guests to give a final thought, something that kind of wraps everything up. And we've talked about this framework. Uh, throughout the show here, these four steps, these four pieces of this framework. What's a final thought before we move to Q&A from everybody? Because I've got yeah. a bunch of good questions in there. 
so to bring the conversation full circle, our objective with cold email is to send something that has a one-to-one look and feel that does not take a ton of our time to write. Mm. So what I want you to think about a really good exercise after this is think about what are the common situations and plays that you run. So for example, one of the common plays I teach clients is how to reapproach a closed loss deal, how to reach out to someone who used to be a current customer, uh, a past employee of a current customer. So they used to work at company A who uses your product. Now they work at company B who does not use your product. How do you reach out to them? There's these common situations that you always run into. Those are the things that you want to start thinking about. How could I create a template for this? Create my own template. So every time I reach out to VP of HR at a closed loss deal or VP of HR, they used to be a customer uh, previously at their, uh, their current company or VP of HR who's hiring, right? Think of those five, six most, con- the AEs especially, you need to do this because you have very little time. Think of those five to six most common plays that you would run per persona. And if you're doing enterprise, it would be per industry as well. Start to think about like, how can I get a message that gets me 80, 90% of the way there so I don't have to rewrite a full email each time. That's how you start to get really good at this. I think this is a golden nugget right here. Make sure that you're paying attention for those common things that you're doing over and over because those are the things that you can start to put things together and streamline. And instead of going through that motion and spending that time each time, you might be able to build this starting language that Jason's been kind of alluding to this whole time. That document that he shared will give you guys the access to be able to use that stuff. All right. We got some great questions here from our audience. Best audience in the world. You guys always ask the best questions. This one comes from Kelly Santos. It says, yay or nay on a screenshot in the email, if of something that I saw on LinkedIn, companies LinkedIn to use for my personalization. Are screenshots a win in the cold email world right now? So Kelly, the workaround, because you don't want to embed media in that first email, it's going to affect your deliverability, is the call to action is, I noticed on your website that this problem was happening. Can I send over a quick video to share more? Or can I send over a quick screenshot? Like ask. Yeah. You're going to reply to that email anyways. If they don't reply to it, you're going to reply to the next one with the screenshot in it or the video. Yeah. But you need that first email to go through. So this is the way for you to sneak in an extra email by asking. And guess what? Maybe only one to 3% of people say yes, send it over. But those people have a really high conversion rate into a meeting. Yeah. So it's a way for you to take your pipeline like this and turn it into, well, like we talked about a martini glass, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. I love the martini glass thing, man. I feel like it is. Thank yeah. you, Kelly. It is huge. Uh, I'm a big fan of, can I send that your way? And even if I don't get the response, I'm like, Later, I'm like, here's that thing that I said I was going to send. Uh, I'll call you tomorrow with some questions to answer any questions, right? And then I dial. Like, this is like the I'm not going anywhere, dude, right? <laughs> like, so that's kind of that's kind of a good help there. I appreciate that, man. We ride that same wave. Michelle Slaughter, I appreciate this question. Uh, when is the best time to put in a video vidyard in these cold emails? Touch two, touch three. After I get a response, when do you start adding things? You mentioned that response earlier. Yeah. Second email is the soonest that you want to add media to an email. Yeah. When the first email gets delivered, if it goes through and hits their inbox, it's so much more likely that the second and third emails do. So don't send those in a first email because one other quick hack with video is the extra stuff that you do to personalize, like follow the engagement. 
go where prospects are engaging and raising their hand. Right. So in other words, don't take the time to record a video for a prospect that has not opened a previous email. Mm -hmm. So follow the engagement. Spend your extra manual effort on prospects that are actually opening the emails that you're sending them and engaging with the stuff that you're sending them. Yeah. And Michelle, you have two things here. You actually have two different channels. You have touch and then you have emails. If I send an email that's cold, but then I reach out on LinkedIn and before they respond to my email, they accept my connection request. I might have a second touch of sending a personalized e video in LinkedIn that points them back to the email that I sent or the email I'm about to send. These types of plays kind of bring it all together in this wonderful harmony uh, of touch points that you might put together for your prospects. Yeah, absolutely. Michelle, that's what we're here for. Literally why we create the show. Uh, this one comes from anonymous attendee. We appreciate you anonymous. Any tricks? We don't, we don't like tricks here. We like tips and, and strategies. We do not like tricks. Any tricks on how to quickly speak a customer's or industry's language when you're selling to SMBs? Great, great stuff there. I mean, this is the most underrated part of being a sales professional. The, the way that you upgrade from rep to professional is you learn about the industry. The link, and the really hard thing that we do in sales is we oftentimes sell to people whose job we have not done before. So if you haven't done their job before, I think the easiest way to get some of that like acumen is there is a top account executive or two or three at your company, listen to their sales calls with that persona. Start downloading and taking notes over these four key things. What are the typical priorities and goals of the persona? How do they get the job done right now, current solution? <laughs> What are the problems that they have? So why do they switch? What's not great about their current solution? And then what's their aspiration, right? What do they ultimately want to accomplish? I think listening to your recorded calls of other reps having those conversations, that's the lowest hanging fruit. And then you need to like be subscribed to the blogs and the newsletters and the trade shows and the uh, conferences is another big one. Um, if there's a podcast, if we use the HR uh, example today a lot, Dude, there are events for HR professionals. There are yeah. podcasts, there are webinars. Like you need to spend 15, 30 minutes a day consuming the industry information so that you know what the trends are. That is again, how you upgrade from rep to sales professional. That's what sales professionals do is they know their prospects industries inside and out. I, I got to do that. That table stakes. Yeah, I, I think that this, uh, I'm going to say a word here that's going to rub people the wrong way because it's been a while since I met somebody that's like us, but my wife and I are readers. Read. It seems simple. People are like, oh, reading, of course. <laughs> but when you go to those companies' pages, they often share articles. They often share other industry articles that are relevant to them. When you read these things, you pick up on all that jargon. You pick up on all that language. When you use it yeah. in your messaging, what it signals to all of the people that you're reaching out to is this human is like me. They know my business. They understand what I do. This only increases the likelihood of a response. doesn't guarantee it. Nothing will guarantee it, but it will increase the likelihood. All right. We got a couple of good questions here to wrap up with. Maxwell wants to know, do you ask for time on the first email and then move to interest in the later emails or vice versa? What do you typically start with, Jason? Uh, I would say start with asking for interest and then ask for time later, but just try it out and see what works best for you. That's a great thing to A-B test in your emails. Yes. A-B testing is always the best way. Last question here. Liz wants to know, does open... Hey, Liz, what's up? 
does open link does open tracking affect emails being delivered or getting through uh used to use opens as a way to gauge interest and engagement but disabling tracking will land in the inbox more is that how we're to understand it there's not a lot of clear data that actually supports whether or not that helps um, okay a lot of more educated people on email deliverability than me have a hunch that it does so a good best practice is when you're starting out a sequence and you're not sure people are going to open or not keep it on and then when you hit like 40 percent open rates like turn turn the open rate tracking off you know that people are opening up the emails more will likely get delivered without it on but i want to have a baseline to know if my emails are getting opened Got to have that baseline. And Liz, if that's what you're using, it's absolutely fine as long as it is working. Pragmatism is the religion of sales. We want to thank you guys for coming out and joining the show once again. Jason Bay, thank you for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge with us today. We always appreciate your gems and the resources that you dropped in the chat. Hit me up if you have any questions, but check us out at sellbetter.xyz. Follow us. You will all get a survey once you finish the show today please let us know how we did what you liked about it what you want to see more of we create this stuff just for you we're going to see you tomorrow with another stellar guest to help you sell better have a great day everybody